everyone, welcome to Identity Crisis, a show about news and ideas from the Shalom Hartman Institute. I'm Yehuda Kurtzer, president of Shalom Hartman Institute North America, and we're recording on Tuesday, September 14th, 2021, the day before the day before Yom Kippur. I'm excited to be in conversation with a major leader in the state of Israel, a major public official, the Minister of Diaspora Affairs, Nachman Shai, who joined as part of what I think many of us experienced and are watching as a major cultural change, not only a political change, but a cultural change in the Israeli government with the ascendance of Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and alternate Prime Minister Yair Lapid, which has brought a kind of sea change in a whole bunch of questions that have defined Israeli politics for about a generation under the previous Prime Minister Netanyahu. Minister Nachman Shai, after an incredibly auspicious career in public and in private service, has joined in this unusual ministry, the Ministry of Diaspora Affairs, I guess of particular interest to those of us who study Israel diaspora, who live in America, and who have watched this space of the relationship between American Jews and the state of Israel deteriorating over the span of a past generation or two, and into an unusual role of trying to address and navigate that relationship. One of his first activities in the role, which is striking, which is actually perfectly timed for this high holiday episode, is the minister wrote an article that appeared in JTA at the beginning of September, Jewish Telegraphic Agency, titled, Has Israel Let You Down? Its Minister of Diaspora Affairs Wants You to Talk About It Over the High Holidays, Does Something Unusual by General Israeli Standards, which is apologizing on behalf of the State of Israel for the state of Israel's role in the deterioration of relationship between Israel and diaspora. And I'm excited to have this conversation with you, Mr. Minister. Thank you, first of all, for joining uh, on this podcast. Thank you very much, Yudha. And if I may say one word, this is the eve of Yom Kippur, right? And yep. for many Israelis, that also brings the sound of the images of the Yom Kippur War, and also the memories of 2,700 Israeli soldiers who fell in that war. It was inevitable. Now we know. So if we can just devote this conversation for their memory, it doesn't mean that we have to discuss wars now. I prefer to discuss peace with you. But just bear in mind that for us Israelis, the trauma of Yom Kippur, it will always be remembered in Jewish history and in Israel history as this war broke out at 2 p.m. I appreciate you starting there because that actually is very telling. You know, about in 2013, I went on Facebook, which is where I kind of spend most of my time, on Erev Yom Kippur, or a week before, or whatever, and I said, how many rabbis here in North America are planning on speaking about this as the 40th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War? And it was astonishing how few people had thought about it, had even had the thought to like, oh, I should probably speak about that. And in that moment, that was one of those moments of like, oh, we are living in different universes. I can imagine you're describing it. How many congregations in Israel, even without having to talk about Yom Kippur War on Yom Kippur, are thinking about it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's one of these things that really divides us. So you're entering into this role. You're watching the relationship between American Jews and Israeli Jews, which is sometimes bad and sometimes, like with this example, almost non-existent. So first of all, diagnose it. What do you see coming into this role? Where, where have you seen the problematics when you came in? And what have you been noticing in your first few weeks in the role? There was a kind of disconnection between at least two out of the three denominations with Israel in general and with this ministry in particular. They lost confidence with the government not only because of the Kotel, but the Kotel issue played a major role in that, but also other incidents before and after, conversion and so on, issues that stand be between Israel and the diaspora, that Israel did not pay attention 
to the positions, opinions of millions of Jews living out of the country. That created a kind of a rift between them, between you and us. And I said to myself, if I can do something to repair the damage, that's what I'm going to do. I have the full backing of the Prime Minister, of Naftali Bennett, who fully understands the situation. He hasn't done too much yet, but I believe he will. If I have to do something that will be so-called remembered at the end of my term, you know, Israeli politicians have to take into account the terms here are not necessarily too long. I would love to, to dedicate as much as possible now at this stage to try to bring brothers and sisters from Israel and the entire Jewish world together to discuss Israel. Let's talk about Israel. It's fine with me. We may disagree about Israel's actions, about Israel's deeds, about Israel's policies, but it's one and only Israel for all of us. So let's bring Israel back to the center of the dialogue between the diaspora and Israel. I guess my first question is like, why? There is an, a country called Italy. There's an Italian diaspora. They right. don't really have a ministry. It doesn't really matter. It might even be the case that Israel could do perfectly fine without a relationship with liberal American Jews, as long as it retains a relationship with evangelicals, with where there are a lot more of them. There are certainly plenty of Jews in America who are not troubled at all by the state of Israel. What is the interest here? Is it strategic? Is it moral? What is the concern that you see of why this frittering away relationship with liberal Jews actually causes concern to the state of Israel? Depends who are you talking to. Because a month ago, when the finance ministry guys came to my office to discuss next year's budget, I uh, preached them about the upcoming 10-year strategic agreement between Israel and the United States. And I said that we need American Jewry, especially the Democrats, which are 70%, to help us. It's a practical matter, okay? Because they speak business. They want to understand why do we need the diaspora ministry. $4 billion a year. Can you imagine Israel's defense budget without $4 million a year? And sometimes an extra one, like the $1 billion that we have just asked from the White House and probably will be uh, given to us? You are from the finance ministry, let's talk money. But in general, I would like to do my best that the average Israeli, especially the young generation, which hasn't learned about the Gola, the diaspora at all, and has no understanding whatsoever, what does it mean, will develop a certain sentiment to Jews living out of the country. When we, what we call amiyut, peoplehood, we lack a sense of peoplehood here in Israel. Something that you, many of you have been raised with in the United States or elsewhere. Many Israelis, for them, Am Israel is just Israel. This is Am Israel. We live seven million Jews together. This is Am Israel. No, you're wrong. Am Israel is around 15 million people and maybe even bigger. That's how we, we have to relate to you as part of Am Israel. For many Israelis, Am Israel doesn't exist. What you're describing is not merely a strategic concern, but it is actually, a, in essence, a spiritual concern. So let's probe that a little bit. Now, part of the reason why I understand why Israelis don't particularly care about Amiyut is because they have a theory of Amiyut, which is, you know, and I find this with a lot of my Israeli friends and colleagues, you guys do whatever you want, but eventually 
you're going to need to run here. And when you need to run here, we'll keep the doors open for you. That's a theory of Amiyut. I care about the Jewish people. I'm standing here. I'm going to hold this land. I'm going to protect it. And when you come, you come in. But to really take seriously diaspora Jews as something that is independently vital, that has a future, it runs against Zionism because so much of Zionism was premised on the idea that diaspora doesn't work. So how do you convince Israelis that diaspora is something that's okay for American Jews without undermining the very thing that drives their Zionist identity? We have changed our attitude towards the Gola, with the diaspora from the time I was born here, almost 75 years ago, when Gola was a word you haven't even used, or it was a kind of a curse, you know, you came from the Gola, we don't want to talk, we just created the new Tzabar, the new, the new Jew, it's a new chapter in Jewish life, we speak only Hebrew, and don't tell us what to do and how, but we, we know everything. And 75 years later, when I look at it, we are now much more open uh, to listen to other voices and to hear some advice from Jews or non-Jews who do not live necessarily in Israel. Many of us have spent long times out of the country. Take the Shinshinim, for example, hundreds of, of young Israelis that now spend one year in the United States or elsewhere, they come back different people than they left. And they are very young, too young for this mission, but at the same time, it's quite of an experience that changed their life. Now they understand what does it mean to live in the diaspora. I try to develop this sense within Israel through education, through uh, leadership, through uh, Knesset Kokos, the army, the military, everywhere I can, and also through the media, of course, by putting myself somehow at the center of it, say that I was appointed to do something that you don't even imagine what it means, and also by convincing the state of Israel to give me money for that purpose, to give me funds. You know, it's not a simple matter to ask Israelis, why do we have to spend our money uh, to combat anti-Semitism when there's no anti-Semitism in Israel? Why do we care? Of course we care. As long as there is anti-Semitism in the world, this country is, is committed, this country is obligated to combat anti-Semitism, much more than we have been doing, by the way. That, that's what I'm trying to do. What's more important for the diaspora ministry, getting American Jews to be talking with Israelis and connected to Israel, or getting Israelis to take seriously the diaspora? Of, of course, course, the answer will be both. I cannot rate and give priority, but we try much harder out of the country because of the future generation. I'm confident that those Israelis, they will remain Jews. If it's not Jewish life, but we live in a Jewish state, so for being Jew, for us, is just a, a way of life. But what about your giant generation? What about assimilation in the United States and elsewhere in high percentage? And I'm not here to give advice to anyone how to run their life, but I'm asking myself how many Jews will be left 10 or 15 or 50 years from now when I unfortunately will not be around. I care for the future of the Jewish people. I can tell you that more and more Israelis are aware of it, and we would like to increase the number of Israelis that will ask those questions, that it's not only about Israel. Please open your eyes, I say, and look out of the country and ask yourself, what's the future of the Jewish people? And what are you going to do in order to help Jews who live out of the country to remain Jewish, to run Jewish life? You know, at the heart of the tension between these communities is the question of 
do American Jews, I speak primarily to American and Canadian Jews, but let's say diaspora Jews more broadly, do they have a voice? Are they able to have an opinion about what takes place in Israel? That's one of the crux issues. So yesterday at the Hartman Institute, we opened up a new center called the Center for Yahadut Medina, Center for, for Judaism and State. And one of your peers in the Israeli government, Minister Yoaz Hendel, the communications minister, made an old differentiation. Said it was a new articulation of an old differentiation, which is you can have your opinions on security, but we don't really care about them. But on certain issues, religion and state, it's really important that you as diaspora Jews raise your voice and that it's important for us to listen. It's an old distinction. American Jews have the right to have a voice on one set of issues. I'm curious your take on that question of, is it only on issues of Kotel, on religious pluralism, on spirituality, which American Jews could certainly contribute to Israeli society? And what is the place, if any, for American Jews to actually have really strong opinions about other issues that define this relationship, including security and occupation, those types of things that those of us who are deeply invested in Israel are really concerned about? Every topic, including security, including foreign policy, if we are assigned to do tikkun olam, why don't we do tikkun Israel? You want to correct the world? Why, why, why exclude Israel? I'd yeah. like to hear your opinion. Why peace and war as well? Because when we fought the Hamas last summer, your life in the United States were impacted, I would say even heavily impacted, mm -hmm. starting with public opinion, going down to anti-Semitic attacks on, on Jews in the streets of Brooklyn, right? You may say, uh, my friends in Israel don't embark on a war any longer because it impacts our flights. I said, no, Judah, you're wrong. We will if necessary, unfortunately. But we have to bear in mind what does it mean to you and to be prepared for that. It's one area. So even peace and war, of course, you don't pay taxes and you don't live in Israel. And uh, No, but it's fine because it takes so, it's so central in our life that if I exclude the dialogue only to religious so-called matters, it will be a mistake. And I know my opinion is a little bit different than yours and other colleagues of mine, but that's fine. And especially in today's world, when news cross the world so fast, and you know you can live in the States, but in the Israeli uh, timetable, you can live full Israeli life out of Israel. Full mm -hmm. Israeli life. Language, culture, music, even friends, They're like we are doing right now. It's like any version of intimacy. Imagine that somebody says to you, I want you to care deeply about me and I want to be in conversation with you. But this whole piece that's really important to me, you're not allowed to talk about or have an opinion about. It's like, do you really want an intimate relationship or are you actually stipulating the you know terms that actually undermine that? Hi, my name is Justice Baird. One of the hats I wear as Senior Vice President at the Hartman Institute is managing editor of our new journal called Sources. Instead of hot takes, Sources features long-form essays. Issue number two is out now, and it will inspire you. You'll read about the future of liberal Zionism, synagogues revitalizing American democracy, and making disagreement purposeful. Significant ideas, beautifully expressed all at sourcesjournal.org. When you look at American Jews, and I, I think we probably have some similar diagnoses and some differences. A lot of my work and a lot of the work of the Institute is about 
in some ways persuading American Jews about why a relationship with Israel can matter to them, knowing that it's actually really possible for American Jews to have meaningful Jewish lives and meaningful Jewish identities without a relationship to Israel. In fact, sometimes the relationship with Israel is frustrating and it's inconvenient or it's embarrassing. Why is it important to you beyond what it helps Israel? Why is it important for American Jews to be in closer and deeper relationship with the state of Israel than, than where they currently are? It's a good question. I advise them to get into this dialogue between us because it will enrich their life as Jewish people. There's no Judaism in today's world without Israel. If they ignore Israel, he said, I can be a Jew without any relations with Israel, they're wrong. How can they close their eyes and say, I'm a full Jew without any attachment to Israel? I don't think it's possible. Because from all corners, from all matters, Israel is the center of Jewish life in today's world. You cannot run away. It's like you cannot, in my view, cannot run away being Jewish as well. But, but that's something else. But in this case, if Israel is not the center, where is it? Where is it? It's not that we impose ourselves upon you. It should come from your side. You said, I'd like to know more about Israel. I'd like to learn more about Israel. I'd like to understand much more about Israel. What I feel like there's a shortage of information about Israel. There's a shortage of knowledge about the history of the state how things started, how did they develop. When young American Jews in American campuses now are exposed to not anti-Semitism, but anti-Israelism, I'm not sure they are well equipped just with information. Forget about taking position, just to know what happened there. How this state came to being? How did it start? Who teaches them the history of the state of Israel, which is integral part from Jewish history in the past 100 years? What do you think it's critical for Israelis to understand about diaspora Jews in order for them to be in relationship with them? I assume, I know you've been on a listening tour. You've been on a conversation tour with diaspora Jews, with diaspora leaders. We had a rich conversation about some of the dynamics of American Jewish life. I suspect most Israeli Jews don't understand American Jews. It's not just what do you want Israelis to understand about diaspora Jews, but what will enrich Israeli Jewish life when they learn something about diaspora Jews? What's going to change for them? There's no present without past. The present is based on the past, about history. They should learn their past. You want to be an Israeli, but it started somewhere, and not necessarily with Herzl in 1897. Maybe a few hundred years before, maybe a few thousands of years before. Then you start with the roots. The, the roots are all around the globe. Jews live all around the globe. They also carry the same mission, the same message of history, Jewish history. If you look at them, you ask, so what's your history? Where did you come from? Then we realize we all come, come from the same place. We have the same roots. That's all fascinating about Judaism. That's what I'm going to tell, and I will tell to my, my friend. It's not a practical matter. I, I did already carry this, uh, you know, I told you about how I would translate it as a national security issue because... Israelis like to speak about security. Security helps on any matter. We say security, we all stand and said, oh, security and salute. No, it's not only about security. In a way, it's part of our national security. It, it, it is, but it's not all about it. It's much deeper. It's much deeper. And you know, when I speak about it and I try 
to, to do it as much as possible, especially in the media, people listen and then come back to me and said, you know, we heard something new that we haven't heard before. I really mobilize all my communication talents for that matter. It's one of the most interesting aspects that I'm just watching from afar about this current Israeli government. I don't know whether it's humility, I don't know what it is, or opportunity, but to say, I don't know that we're going to solve all the major problems, but where could we make a little bit of progress on some of them? <laughs> it might actually be possible. So let's take the one kind of famous example that you led with, which is the Kotel Compromise. What should we be watching for over the next few months in terms of the return of the Kotel Compromise? How's that actually going to play out in Israeli society? The Kotel issue should be removed from the vital dialogue between you and us. There's no reason whatsoever that this government, which has no, almost no opposition, and the Orthodox parties, which have been pressuring the prime minister in, in the past, are not members of this coalition. So politics is extremely important here too. Let's discuss it, how to do it as soon as possible. That's my position to the prime minister. He actually already made a certain promise to deal with it after the Chagim, but this is a way of saying in Israel for everything is waiting until after the Chagim, after the Chagim. I don't want to hear about after the Chagim any longer. Uh, so many things are waiting for after the Chagim. I think that if we resolve this issue, finally, we create such a, such a new atmosphere and open a new chapter in the relationship between American Jewry in general and the state of Israel. And it's really in our hands. It's really not, we don't have to work too hard. The compromise was already reached. The, the, the outline was already there that just taking the initiative and moving forward. And that's what I told and I actually sent a letter and I'm now really circulating even a draft for a government resolution on that. So they don't have to work hard, just follow my advice. And I know that the, the prime minister, the finance minister, the defense minister, Almost every member of coalition and of the government is in favor. And do you think that there's a way to do it that'll be able to survive the coalition politics of a later Israeli government that is predominantly right-wing Haredi? Like, part of the problem is that the more that it's tied to specific coalition politics, the more it's vulnerable that it's on and then off again. It's irreversible. Once it was done, it will be irreversible. And we have to be courageous. Believe me, it's time to be courageous. Actually, it was in Netanyahu's hand at the time, and we were all celebrating in Israel with 400 uh, reform rabbis who came to Israel to, to celebrate it. Maybe they celebrated too much and too fast. But as a matter of fact, it became so important, maybe disproportionately important, but it's there. And now we, it's too late to say, well, we are for, so sorry that we didn't respond at the time. Between Israel and the Jewish world, we can do something which will transform the situation from one side to the other. Well, you've been really generous with your time, and I appreciate it. Before we conclude, and since we're in the middle of holiday season, and you're sitting in such an unusual position at the intersection of the relationship between Israel and the Jewish people, you're not a rabbi, but maybe you could give a blessing to the Jewish people. What would you give as your blessing right now for the Jewish people in the middle of this weird time, in this moment, in the season? What I would like to wish to Israel is equality, peace, health, of course, justice. I'd like to respond to the vision of the prophets, but also to the founding fathers of the state of Israel, which I still remember in a way. Between you and us, some of the values are applicable as well. Equality and a sense of unity 
between Jews all around the world. I think the message from this coalition, which you rightly mentioned, is a big surprise, is unprecedented, is that we understand that without unity, we cannot go anywhere. And after four elections campaign, we decided to be united, even if we disagree with each other on over 50% of the issues coming to the cabinet uh, table. But we still managed, Yuda, a week after a week to produce compromises that I'm so proud of, because I believe that the secret of Jewish survival for many, many years was to find a compromise. To find a compromise. It's not easy because we all have principles and we all believe that there's only one single ideology that um, matters. No, there's more than one. And that's so important that we finally understand. In the same room, 30 people sit and they listen to each other and they care for each other and they get out of the room after two or three hours with full agreement. Can you believe it? Hmm. So what I wish to see is a sense of understanding and compromise and unity between you and us as well. You know, it makes the Israelis, most of them, happy and relaxed. And they urge me in the street, please don't fight with each other. We are so few after all. Can we afford just fighting with each other this is the, the destiny of the state of Israel, and the answer is no. And so I, I would like to thank God for creating this government in a way, because a miracle. The miracles are not over yet. I mean, in our history, there is another one here. And if we, we can inspire the entire Jewish people for the same sense of unity, understanding, reaching compromises between the denominations and between Safari and Ashkenaz, this is... This is something that I would like to wish to all of us. Hard to argue with that. You know, I'm a child of a diplomat. So someone who says the, my wish for the world is compromise is really a beautiful image. And, and truly, given the, all of the racial and ethnic and political complexities of the state of Israel and those that divide the state of Israel from diaspora Jews as well, a vision for compromise where not everybody always gets exactly what they want, but everybody gets what they need is a beautiful message. That's it. That's it. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. I think it's a critical message. And you know I'm on your team. Thanks so much for listening to our show this week. And special thanks to Minister Nachman Shai, this week's guest. Identity Crisis is a product of the Shalom Hartman Institute. It was produced this week by David C. Kalman and edited by Joel Fredman, with assistance from Miri Miller and music provided by SoCalled. Transcripts of our show are now available on our website, typically about a week after our episode airs. To find them and to learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, you can visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We want to know what you think about the show. You can rate and review us on iTunes to help more people find our show. And you can write to us at identitycrisis at shalomhartman.org. You can subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are available. See you next week, and thanks for listening.